0: to make more money we make money to make more movies the immortal and perhaps timely words of the great walt disney to start today's episode of the second day film podcast it's the official podcast of the second day film club it is friday september 25th that's the date i'm brandon champion joined as always by michigan
1: man of the year mike nichols uh how's it going buddy It's going good. It was a worthy awards ceremony, and I was happy to see how many people won the award. Uh, Michigan was with us that day. Now, you want to tell people why you're the Michigan Man of the Year real quick? Cliff Notes version? Sure. So, uh, (laughs) once upon a time, in 2019, someone lied and made up that they were the Michigan Man of the Year award. Which didn't exist. (laughs) And so then I decided to just make it up and give it to myself because that's apparently what you do with the Michigan Man of the Year Award. You just make it up and give it to yourself. So who's to say I can't? So I did it and uh, my friend Steve Zagman helped me and we actually did like a, a fun little award show last year and then this year we brought it back bigger than ever and uh, yeah, it's now Michigan's fakest real award. <laughs>
0: <laughs> congratulations,
1: buddy. I'm very happy for and you. And congratulations to all of our worthy winners out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, coming up on today's show, we will not be handing out any awards, but we will be talking about an award show. Mm. Uh, a quick recap of the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards that yeah. aired last Sunday. Obviously, not as important as the Michigan Man of the Year, but still, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I worthy, didn't even, worthy to be mentioned on this podcast.
0: I didn't even realize it was coming because it was overshadowed by the by the Michigan Man of the Year yeah. award, which happened the same day. Nobody was really tuning into the Emmys.
1: Oh, all of America felt that way. Yeah. That's why that's why our event was so
0: full of people. <laughs> (laughs) Of course, Uh, following that, uh, Mike and I will review three films we've each seen recently, uh, all of which have become available on various streaming platforms over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, If you would like to interact with us, please join the conversation about movies new and old uh, by liking the Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook, following us on, on Twitter and Instagram. Please rate and review uh, our old ep- or our episodes and our podcast on any service that you use for podcasts. Five star ratings reviews go a very long way uh, in helping other people find us in the algorithm of the internet, the vast interwebs uh, that 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 invade our consciousness on a seemingly constant basis these days. Um, but excited to be back. Been a little bit since we've recorded. Um, so the Emmys. Uh, I did not watch the actual show. Uh, kind of snuck up on me, as I mentioned, um, but I did watch some highlights on YouTube and looked up some of the winners, and I'll I'll read off some of the
1: winners here uh, soon enough. But Mike, I know I know you did something similar, and uh, yeah, I also did not watch the Emmys because I think we all know what my opinion of awards shows are, given my Michigan Man of the Year title. Um, but I also did kind of just forget about it. It seems like there's just been so much intense world and and local news these days that. You just kind of forget about stuff like this uh, with just in the wake of everything else going on in the world. But yeah, I watched uh, Jimmy uh, Kimmel's intro and I watched a couple speeches from people that I, I liked and were happy they won. But I didn't I didn't catch the whole experience, no. Neither did I. And I don't think it's necessary to talk
0: about you know every single award. But yeah, Jimmy Kimmel did kind of mention like, how frivolous is this that yeah. we're doing an award show in the middle of a pandemic? And then he's like, wait a second, it's frivolous every year. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was I, also
1: interesting <laughs> that they opened it up with What appeared to be, the way it was shown, there was a full crowd of people there, and Jimmy Kimmel was up there presenting to a full-packed house, and I remember watching that being like, whoa, like, they're really, they're bringing everyone in, and like, they're doing, they must have done, like, testing for every single person there. It seems unnecessary. And then as the jokes go on, and you see people laughing, and then you, they show a clip of Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel in the crowd, and then you realize, oh, and then they cut to, it's actually an empty room, and it's the most barren and bleak feeling And then they're like, but we're still going to do it in this command center where he looks like he's inside like the Matrix or something. And you're just like, was this the way to open it? Just to be like, hey, everyone's together and things are normal. Nope, it's not. But not to worry, we can do this in some kind of weird room that looks like it's out of a (laughs) sci-fi dystopian horror film. Yeah, it was a little surreal. But, you know, I I guess if I was nominated for an Emmy, I guess I'd still want to have some kind of you know thing to happen for me to experience it
0: yeah i thought the you know virtual shtick was kind of funny you know it, it kind of caught you off guard like you said and it, yeah, it was did. a little bit jarring but of course in the opening monologue we might as well start there we had lots of pandemic jokes uh starting with he called it the pandemies, which is that's pretty funny i think you know he's, he's dropping jokes like every virus needs a host uh, Watchmen is a very realistic show, except for the mm-hmm. fact that anyone in Oklahoma is wearing a mask. <laughs> uh, oh. you, had, you had the bit um, where Jennifer Aniston is not able to like hear him because he's talking across the room. When the Emmys are being delivered, you have guys show up in hazmat suits and, and uh, you know uh, deliver the awards to the winners. Um, so just kind of all this funny self-aware stuff about how, yes, we are having this ridiculous award show. Uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, some big winners on the night, though, for sure. Um, Schitt's Creek, which is yeah. a, a show that I know my wife loves. and I, and, I love it, too. It's a yeah. really good show. So I'll let you talk about it here in a second. But the first comedy series to win all four main acting categories in a single year as well as the first comedy or drama series to win all seven major awards in a single year,
1: yeah.
0: um, which which is pretty incredible, uh, considering the show made by uh, Dan Levy and Eugene Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, a Canadian show on like pop TV or something. And yeah. this thing kind of came out of nowhere and became a huge hit. I think.
1: Yeah, it's been kind of a little bit of a sleeper. It was popular in Canada, and then kind of through Netflix, it started getting popular here in the US. It's a, just a really fun, chill little show to have on the background. If you just want something lighthearted and silly, to have on but then as the seasons go on like it does get better and uh not like it was bad in the beginning but just like it gets more deep and and the humor just gets richer with the characters they
0: realize it can be more than just that yeah
1: so the the latest season which i haven't seen yet because it's not out yet here um that's coming out on netflix next month so that's gonna be their final season and yeah i'm just happy for them they're a great cast they're all really good people they're all extremely talented and it's just nice to be seeing them get this love. I haven't seen the last season yet. No one in America has, I don't think. Uh, so I don't know if it's worthy of all these awards, but I'm, I'm happy to see them uh, getting, you know, some attention finally.
0: Yeah, that would be Eugene Levy winning for Outstanding Lead Actor. Uh, Catherine O'Hara winning Outstanding Lead Actress. Um, and um, Dan Levy winning for uh, David, who I know my, my wife just loves so much in that show. And uh, also Annie Murphy picking up her first award. Uh, Some other big winners. um, Watchmen won Outstanding Limited Series. I was happy to see that. I thought that was a super well-done show, super smart, really took the source material and paid good tribute to it, but also sort of uh, updated it, and and it was kind of ahead of its time, actually, in 2020 um, to have that show air this year. Last Week Tonight with John Oliver wins for Outstanding Variety Talk Series. Um, and Outstanding Drama Series, Mike, another one of your favorites, uh, uh, man,
1: Succession. G- Jeremy Strong, knocking it out of the park, my man. I know what scene he probably won it for. I mean, I guess I don't officially know what scene they picked, but he does this scene in uh, the latest season where his character does a rap. It's like a big event honoring his father, and he's like, well, I'm going to give my dad a rap. And it's like him trying to be badass, and it's both at the same time simultaneously – cringy and embarrassing and just really awkward and yet he is kind of making it work a little bit too and so he's like pumping himself up more that he's making it work and everyone's reactions are almost real because when i did it i watched a behind the scenes interview and they were like yeah like it was kind of our first time hearing like jeremy do it live so like when you see me laughing or like reacting like that's genuinely me just like like loving on my my fellow actor because he did such a great job with it <laughs> so yeah, good good win for Jeremy Strong. He's he's knocking out that role out of the park. That's a great show. I I
0: yeah, and we just reviewed that a couple shows ago, or maybe mm-hmm. the last show if you want to hear more of yeah. Mike's thoughts on succession. And Zendaya. Yeah, I was just gonna say two. I was pleasantly surprised to see Zendaya win for Euphoria. Um I also yeah. reviewed that show on this podcast.
1: Yeah. Um You you thought she was great. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, She's the youngest person too. Yeah, right? so I, I, I mean, mean that, that show that was role?
0: just it kinda came out of nowhere as like this super um, you know, 2020 teen drama, mm-hmm. and it's but it was super stylish show, and her performance throughout is is so subtle and eye opening to, to someone dealing with substance abuse. It's raw. It's it's powerful. It's it's a very well deserved award. I don't think most people thought she was going to win. Most, namely her, um, so uh, surprising win. And I'm glad that Zendaya is getting uh, the respect that she deserves for that show because I, I really enjoyed it. One other thing before we move on here. Uh, did you see the bit with Jennifer Aniston putting out uh, with the fire extinguisher trying to put out? Because Jimmy Fe- Jimmy Kimmel is trying to uh, sanitize the award envelope by putting it on fire. Oh. And then she comes out with a fire extinguisher and starts spraying it. And she had to spray it like four times because the... The trash can started catching on fire, and you hear the producer off stage go, "Put it out!" Oh yelling God. at her, and was I just, you, you I just think, think that think,
1: was a real, problem? Oh, or I think so. Yeah, I don't
0: that? think it was stage. It was. It was like the fact that a fire broke out at the 2020 Emmys was hilariously appropriate uh, oh for gosh. 2020. So uh, that's our quick recap of the Emmys. Like I said, neither of us watched the whole show. I don't think we need to get into it too much, um, but uh, definitely a lot of shows that. Um, Maybe we're a little bit under the radar and, and finally got some recognition this year. There was no Game of Thrones or uh, some of these other heavyweights around to, to steal a lot of the limelight. So I was glad to see some other shows get on
1: it. I will say, though, with as I was reading through the list of, of winners and nominees this year, I have to admit, I think we've just reached that oversaturated point where there's just so many like streaming platforms and TV shows. Like A lot of them, great TV shows, obviously, but... There's just so much content out there. I don't know how anyone could watch all these and keep up with it. And you these gotta, are just the ones that got nominated. Like, I know a ton of other great shows that came out or were out last year. And I'm just like, like yeah, like, I don't even know if someone could watch all those and all these. Like, it's just there's so much stuff. Well, that into trying to keep
0: up on movies and yeah. stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you just have to have a queue, like, 14 shows long like I do, Mike. That's That's <laughs> the only way to do it. But, yeah, I mean – You know, uh, I'm just looking down these shows. I've seen Outstanding Drama Series. I have seen most of those. Uh, The only one I haven't is Killing Eve, actually. Um, But, like, you know, the comedy stuff, a lot of those I haven't seen. Um, You know, especially the limited series, Little Fires Everywhere, Miss America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox. Watchmen's the only one I've seen there. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of stuff out there with all these streaming platforms. And we just have more emerging seemingly daily. So it's interesting to see how the Emmys... um, deal with you know this increase in this influx of content um, because it's not just your network television shows that you have to worry about anymore so let's move forward let's talk about some movies here today let's talk about some movies let's let's do it yeah Um, we're gonna start with uh mulan uh this movie um became available on disney plus at the start of september if you wanted to pay 30 extra dollars you could watch it uh immediately and not wait for december and me, being a dedicated podcast host, mm, yes. uh, I, I stepped up, Mike. I, I, I spent those $30 and uh, watched Mulan, and um, yeah, we'll get into whether or not that was worth it. Uh, but first, <laughs> uh, the plot summary on IMDb, even though you know. Uh, a young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father, This film was directed by Nikki Caro, and you have Yifei Lu, starring as Mulan. Uh, There's a lot of other uh, actors and actresses um, with names that I don't want to butcher, so I'm not going to say them. But Jet Li's also in this. He plays the emperor. I do know Jet Li. Um, So, Mulan. We all know the story, right? Uh, One of my favorite animated Disney films, for sure. Uh, she was an early pick in our Disney character draft. I believe, I believe Evan Dean p- took her with the first pick of the second round. We
1: all had her at some point mm. on our list of someone we wanted, but yes. we all had to... You know. Yes,
0: definitely an iconic character. Yeah. The first thing I'll say about this movie is I'm glad they decided to make it a PG-13 film um, mm. instead of PG. I don't think you would have even had a chance to tell this story properly. Otherwise, it is a movie that involves war. Therefore, you're going to have some war scenes and some battle scenes. Uh, I don't think it's a PG movie that would have landed. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not sure it commits to being anything more than a PG movie. So Hmm. I'm not sure what the point of putting it PG-13 was because they don't really seem to push that limit at all. It is a Disney movie. They're going to have kids watch this, of course. So I get why they're being a little bit restrained. But because of that, the thing that I was most excited to see, which is the action is a little bit dull, which is really disappointing because if you think about the action scenes, the scene in the mountains, the scene at in the Imperial City, in the animated film, I thought those scenes were wonderfully animated. Uh, really intense and impactful. So to see the action kind of fall short in this movie is a little bit disappointing to me. Uh, the movie looks great. The costumes are colorful and wonderful. Uh, Mulan's village is, is full of pastel like uh, yellows and blues and reds and it's extravagantly and anim- uh, extravagantly decorated we have shots of countryside shots s- shots of like lust jungle and we obviously have the mountain pass scene so the world of Mulan in ancient China is brought to life beautifully um, so that's one thing that I think it did really really well. There's some other comments and other critiques that I have, but Mike, um, I know you're a Mulan fan, so I assume this is something you want to see. Have you heard anything about the movie, or what What are you looking
1: for in this? Here's the thing, champ. As a Mulan fan, I have perhaps found all of this money-grabbing, uh, redo all our perfectly fine animated films as dry, like... <clears throat> soulless live action movies not to be that uh, attractive to me. And I have no interest in paying $30 to see this movie. Mike, we don't make
0: movies to make more money. We make money to make more movies. Walt Disney said it himself. Walt Disney
1: wasn't behind this project. Oh, he wasn't? No. Oh, his name's on it. God God rest his soul. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) I don't know, man. I just like I the only live action reboots that they've done that I've seen is I saw Jungle Book and I also really saw it just because I wanted to compare it to the other Jungle Book that uh, Andy Serkis made because I, I was really curious to see how like two different companies would sort of portrayed the same story in the same year. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I saw—I I think I saw some of Cinderella, the Kenneth Brownick film, um, which was fine. But the rest of them, just from the trailers alone, I just have no interest in seeing these. I didn't think anything about this movie looked compelling. It looked like it kind of just a cheap cash in on the success of the animation that they did that it sounds like it was a, just an overall better story back in 1998 than they did with this one. So it doesn't sound like they added anything new that was that great. There were all these controversies about it. And, uh, I don't know, just nothing about this really made me feel like I cared to watch it. Then again, I'm not really the audience. Like I'm an older, you know, guy and stuff. I'm not really who they want for this to care about this movie. And that's fine. But, uh, yeah, for me, I just don't really care if I see it. So reviews I, have not been that, like, mind-blowing.
0: I have mixed feelings about the live-action remakes, which we've discussed before when we reviewed films like Aladdin and Dumbo and The Lion King um, and other ones like that. And I've liked them all to mixed degrees. I thought The Jungle Book was really well done. I liked Aladdin quite a bit. I thought Dumbo was pretty solid, but then at the same time, uh, movies like The Lion King, I was deeply disappointed in. So, what about Lady and the Tramp? Uh, I did not watch that live action mm-hmm. one yet. Yeah. But uh, so, to varying degrees. So let me talk about like where I think maybe this movie went wrong. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about how there's this fine line between doing a straight remake and then also taking these movies, bringing them to live action and trying to bring something else to the table or maybe tweak them a little bit to the point where you can make it, you know, something new where you don't feel like you're just watching this regurgitated animated film in live action. This movie, I think, tries a little bit too hard to, to go away from the animated film. There's so many differences. They add characters. There's she has like a sister character. One of the main bad guys or anti-heroes in this is like this witch character, Mm -hmm. which is nowhere to be found in the animated film. And it just comes off as hokey and corny. And I've heard the director, Nikki Carroll, talk about how she wanted to go for a more realistic feel. Well, then why do you add the witch character? Uh, Isn't isn't there... We we got a different bad guy. His name is Boricon. He's a Roarin'. Uh, the commander, Sean Lee, uh, is not her love interest in this. She doesn't really have a love interest in this at all. Um, he's not there. And, of course, the big one, or the big two, I should say, there's no Mushu. Yep, that's what and I was to ask. the only song from the iconic Mulan soundtrack, which is one of people's favorites um, from back in the day, the only one that's incorporated even in instrumental form is Reflection. So mm. we don't get Man Out of You. We don't get any of that, not even in an instrumental form. So, hmm. wow, that's th- surprising. This movie, while I respect the fact that it's trying to go off on its own and go for a different feel and tone, I think it was a big mistake to to take out all these aspects that people love and are going to be looking for. I mean. I don't want like like you, I just don't want to retread, but like why are you taking out some of the best moments? I had long said that Mushu could show up still as maybe like a big CGI Game of Thrones style dragon instead of, you know, the wisecracking Eddie Murphy character. Yeah. Um but we just don't get any of that and it's well, a little bit disappointing. Well is there isn't there like a phoenix in it? It looked like there's a phoenix in the trailers. So that's another thing. They do try and throw this phoenix stuff in there where it's like, this is our family guardian, there's a phoenix, there's, so there's these magical elements. And the other thing that they do that's magical is there's a lot of stuff that's thrown in about Mulan's chi and that she was born with really strong chi. And while that's perhaps an interesting idea and an admirable tribute to Chinese culture, I think it almost betrays the character itself because it takes away from the idea that the animated film has, that Mulan overcomes her shortcomings whatever they are and becomes a trained warrior who's one of the best warriors and she does it all on her own willpower and her own fortitude whereas this they kind of replace it with this bs ingrained chi that is influenced more by this witch in the phoenix magic so by doing that you're almost saying oh now she's just powerful because she has magical powers like isn't that a betrayal of the character
1: yeah like in the original Mulan film it's like she's awesome because she does it and it's her hard work determination and also wisdom like I think something that I so I rewatched like a video doing like like a, a kind of essay on, on the old Mulan and why it worked so well part of it is that Mulan has her own way of doing about it like everyone else tells you you have to do it this way and she says no she figures out a new way to do it that's both like a combination of That kind of macho strength that all the guys seem to have, but also like ingenuity and wisdom and gentleness. And like she she's a great warrior because that's how she learns to work.
0: What makes her different is what makes her great.
1: Yeah, this (laughs) sounds like she's got more of the chosen one. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: which I hate. isn't the idea supposed to be that she was already strong and just needed some experiences to push her over the top? Not that she always had this in her, and then she just had to learn how to harness her powers. I don't know. I didn't like it. The the action was pretty dull. Um, There's this weird sort of, like, people running on, like, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stuff, where people Mm -hmm. are, like, running on walls and jumping up walls and floating through the air and... It's like they're trying to rip off like a martial arts movie and throw it in a live action Disney remake with like a witch and it's just kind of a mess and the script is not good either there there's talking about like, it's like the the characters will guide you and sort of tell you what's going on like we're not smart enough to know what's happening on screen. This is just disappointing to me, man. It's disappointing.
1: So let me just ask you one, one last question about it. So I've got uh, nieces that I love very much, little girls who I want them to be able to go to the movies and see some kick-ass women on a screen and inspire them and give that representation to them. Um, for like, This is us as like guys who like film, analyzing stuff. For little kids who go see this film, like, are they going to care? Are they just going to like it and enjoy it and probably. feel inspired by yeah, it? Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, they're little kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, but –
0: Yes, probably, but but the way that I judge, you know, it is geared at kids, but I, I look at these more as family films, right? That's how we mm. look at Pixar, that's how we look at... A lot of movies where they're supposed to be have, you know, good elements for the kids that are gonna keep them entertained, but also, you know, have elements that, you know, are gonna appeal to adults or provide lessons that might appeal up to adults, or have lessons that families can talk about together after. And this movie just doesn't have a whole lot of it. It's very surface level. It's basically just a retry of the movie we've already seen, except for some elements that we're taking out inexplicably, as I've already mentioned. So I'm on the fence. These live action remakes, sometimes they're just dull because we already know how they're going to play out. We know the stories. So I'm still not entirely sure that we've gotten one of these Disney movies that perfectly balances paying tribute to the original animated film, but also updates it in a positive way with added bits. I think The Jungle Book and Aladdin are the two films that have done that the best that have come out. If I was going to rank the rest of the live action Disney movies... Jungle Book and Aladdin would be my top two, then Beauty and the Beast, followed by Dumbo, Cinderella, Christopher Robin, The Lion King, Mulan, Maleficent, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Oh, I guess
1: guess technically I did see Christopher Robin. Yeah, which was fine too. Yeah,
0: but it's so I ended up giving this a 5.5 out of 10. So disappointing. Um, I, I was really hoping for more. Definitely not worth paying 30 bucks. I would just recommend waiting until it comes out for regular Disney Plus subscribers on December 4th. So that's Mulan. I'm sure your, your children will like it, but I was just hoping for a little bit more, especially considering the PG-13 rating. All right, moving forward, we'll just keep trucking along here as uh, Mike and I sip on some whiskeys here on this Friday afternoon. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Um, so another movie that we recently watched, we're going to delve back into documentary territory Uh, as we've been reviewing several documentaries lately. And, Mike, I know you've been on a bit of a documentary kick. Mm. Uh, But this one was uh, just premiered on HBO Max. Yet another one of those new (laughs) streaming services. (laughs) Um, It's called Class Action Park. This movie is directed by Seth Porges and Chris Charles Scott III. Um, So some documentary filmmakers. The plot summary... A documentary that focuses on a dangerously legendary water park and its slew of injuries and crimes, along with child safety concerns. Um, yeah, 27th of August is when this premiered. Um, Mike, I know we both saw trailers for this and we were both excited to watch this. So, um, what are some of your initial thoughts on Class Action Park?
1: It definitely is entertaining. Like, you're watching this, and you are just kind of very much, like, in awe of how reckless it was. But it's also kind of horrifyingly amusing at the same time. Like, it's almost like a human slapstick documentary about all the stuff that happened to these, you know, teens and people that would go. And they don't really hit you with some of the more deadly and deathly, um, you know, accidents that happen. They save that kind of for later on. They first kind of just lean you in with, like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, this kid would go up there. We found teeth inside of it. Yeah. And it was like, I'll ah, send another teen down there. It's okay. Like, here's 50 bucks or something, you know.
0: They kind of um, go through the rides, like yeah, the, they the go main attraction. Yeah, they go through That's each That's, like, the, the first half, basically.
1: Yeah, and, as you know, a, a proud son of New Jersey myself, I am not surprised that that this thing existed in the 80s. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was really w- well done, too, that they had, like, some really, like, kind of funny people, like, give stories who actually went, like, Chris Gethard, uh, Allison Becker and stuff. Um, it was really good to hear their perspective on it. And Cr- Chris had some really insightful stuff that he said. Uh, but, yeah, I just it, – it basically, people imagine if someone had this idea of, like, hey, that would be kind of fun, right? Like, imagine if you got this thing, you, like, feel like you're flying for five minutes. in the water. It's great and uh so they just kind of like throw it together quickly and cheaply and are like yeah why why shouldn't it work but they don't really like test it with real bodies and they don't really think about you know here's how you like have to get out of the water safely here's how you have to have this many people standing on this cement for this long here's what the water temperature will be like when you land in it if you don't like heat this water like there's just so many engineering things that come into play and as much as creative people have big dreams and big visions and stuff it's really important when something like this like when when you're doing stuff like this it shows the importance of smart planning engineering details people who sometimes have to say no we need to rework this like no we need to rethink it like you can't just have an idea and always just run with it when you're putting bodies in these ideas so if i learned anything from it it's make sure you put people's lives first and uh really do some smarter engineering if you are you know doing something that has to do with the human design as well as, like, the engineering design of a ride. So the
0: first half of this movie basically, like we said, goes through interviewing people. They're sharing memories of all the big rides, almost like they're reliving some sort of, trial yeah. by combat or, and they got tor- these, yeah, they got or like torture f- chamber that people willingly participated yeah, in. And, and there's based- this
1: funny, like, you know, 80s style cartoons. that illustrate like the horrible injuries and stuff. So
0: let's just list some of these rides. They have a wave pool that they call called the grave pool. <laughs> and it was a mixture of like dirt from this runoff hill, human waste, old suntan lotion and blood. You had a cannonball loop, which is a slide where people literally went upside down in a tube and that's the one you were talking about where teeth uh, got stuck. You had the Aqua Scoot where people would fly across the water and the pool wasn't big enough so they would fall on the other side and hit like the ridge. You had the Colorado River Ride where people are in these rafts getting stuck, blasting into each other. So yeah, the the first half is basically these people going through the rides, and then the second half, it sort of gets a little deeper and also goes after the first known death there and sort of some of the class action lawsuits that started to come and eventually shut down the park. So outside of the entertaining aspects that you already talked about where it's just these people reliving their summers at Action Park where they would go to school that like after a weekend and everyone would have like slide burns and abrasions and cuts and mm-hmm. everyone would be like oh you went to Action Park this weekend huh? One of the That's guys cool.
1: talked about it was like one of the funniest things like in, in a horrifying way but it was still <laughs> kind of hilarious he was like yeah, so we had this kid go down and I don't know how he got so fast. We flew up and like landed like he he was, you know, it's a, it's a slide where you're supposed to go down multiple dips. And this kid flew over half of him and just, you know, completely wiped out. And he goes with, I just want to on the record say that that young man survived. <laughs> it was just so like it, it was just so ridiculous how much danger they were OK with accepting just for some you know, self-congratulatory... Pat on the back. Yeah, the sense of fun. Oh, I did it. Some dick-measuring contest, basically.
0: I can do something that you can. I'll push it as far as you... So that's kind of what I want to get into, is, like, outside of the just sheer entertainment value of them talking about these rides and seeing these rides, I like how this film sort of frames Action Park as basically, like, this fantasy world Mm. where fun was, like... The risk was the fun, you know? It it, reminds me of, like... Uh, when Pinocchio goes to Pleasure Island in the old Pinocchio movie and he starts doing all this bad shit and he's, he's just like living life and doing whatever he wants, you know. And uh, furthermore, I like that the documentary gets into how Action Park was a product of the 80s and yeah. what the environment was like in the 80s where there yeah. was... It was just a more, like, chill time. There was less government oversight. There was this urge to pull the limits. I think one of the characters says, you know, it's an 80s movie in real life. Yeah. You have one of them say, if you can't handle it, get the fuck out of Jersey. Right. You know, so I'm trying to imagine this park in 2020, and it's basically unfathomable, Unfathomable. okay, okay, let's just skip that word. (laughs) Um, Jack Daniels. Um, But it really (laughs) contextualizes the 80s, right? This idea that these kids were, you know... I think they say, quote, trying to die for fun. You know, this was a world without cell phones, without the internet, you know, going outside and doing stupid shit was the thing to do. They sort of contextualize this through showing some of the movies in the eighties that were released, like the Goonies and E.T. and Stand My Me, which are like movies about groups of kids going out and doing, having adventures out in the woods, you know, and doing stuff sort of without any oversight in their kids not and their parents not really caring where they're going. So as someone who was born in 1989, which is, you know, right on the heel, let's, let's face it, that's basically the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how, because I remember bits and pieces of this about my childhood, even yeah. in the 90s where we were much more likely to go outside and get in trouble and do stuff. Um, I like how the movie sets how, it sort of explains how Action Park could have happened. You
1: know? Yeah, it also really ties into a lot of the American psyche. This idea for individualism, independence, the freedom to just try and experiment with whatever, and you know that kind of laugh in the face of danger. Uh, and I, I don't know, man. I think that in some ways, like we're kind of living in class action park country right now during a pandemic. We're watching a lot of people. Like not want to take safety seriously. Class Action Park is just America. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that is kind of one of the lessons that there is this. You're weird. not going to say, in a way, uh, Tiger King is Class Action Park. <laughs> in a way, <laughs> the tiger was the slide, and the yeah. Cannonball Loop was. Uh, uh, go, <laughs> listen to our tiger, go listen to our Tiger
0: King review. Carol was the cannonball loop. We so, spent forty five um, minutes talking about Tiger King. If you remember Yeah, but, up, but I do
1: think that like we we do still have that attitude of like freedom over like common sense safety i mean that that's something that i do think the the documentary really did highlight well especially in, in like the legal battles that they tried to fight around it and even the fact that they were just factoring in deaths as part of their yearly you know, it's like, well, you know, how many injuries do we have? How many deaths do we think we'll have? It's like, you're factoring deaths <laughs> as like a normal, acceptable part of an amusement park. Like, this Here's so- our
0: chlorine levels. Here's our uh, entry fee rate. Here's the amount of deaths we had in 1983. Yeah. Uh, no, so Donald Trump looked into investing in this park and he thought it was too extreme. Mm. So that tells you everything you, know, you need to know about this Gene uh, Mulvahill guy, who, by the way, seems like a total scumbag. Um, like, one of those greedy, uh, you know, the. He, paying people like local authorities so playing commissioners so they can get in his pocket and they do get into that too about how greed basically allowed this park to run um where you know
1: because it was creating money and jobs and it was good for the the local community um all of it seems kind of nil though once you get to the end and you start seeing the families who've lost someone kids that died uh you know it is very sobering by the end. I mean but but most of the documentary it's very fun, it's very silly, it's kind of wild and I, it's very enjoyable and then at the end it really does kind of hit you with some of the lessons of hey this like someone's life is really affected by this and See, yeah, see, so that's one it. of my
0: criticisms about actually the documentary, and really the only criticism I have because I really enjoyed watching this. It was a quick, smooth, like hour and a half documentary. Yeah, it was actually super not very easy long. to watch. Yeah, it's not but very long at all. But I-, I felt tonally the film was a little bit conflicted hmm. um, because if you if you look at these Talking Heads, the former employees and guests. It almost seems like they still have that mentality laughing about how dangerous the park was, right? It seems like they're looking back on it like a group of college friends telling war stories about the good old days. Mm, and then yeah. at the end, you kind of get, like, where it shifts, to talks about the lawsuits and it interviews the family of the kid who died. And it tries to seem make it seem like more of a serious doc that's trying to raise awareness. But then the film ends with the talking heads talking about, like, if you couldn't handle it, get the fuck out of Jersey and... I actually loved it. And it was it was a good time in my life. And I'm glad that I have it. And it's like uh, the one guy at the end, he's like, yeah, we talk about it. And it was amazing. And it was terrifying. But then when you talk to your your psychologist, you're just like it was terrifying. So like tonally, it seems like I wasn't sure like if it was trying to glorify it or if it was trying to bring awareness to it. Maybe it's a combination of both. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I think some of the experiences are both. Like, some of the experiences were kind of harmless. Yeah, a kid got bumped around, and there's a little, like, lesson about life there. But then there's there are people who really did die. So I, think, I think both experiences can have that. And they actually showed that in the, the owner. They said, yeah, like, sometimes he was really charming and nice. Mm-hmm. Other times, he was a ruthless, greedy guy. But he was both things. And that's what was complicated about the experience. And I like that they actually showed... Uh, that there was nuance, and they explored that, not just with the park itself, but with the people running it, because the park was created by the people running it. So. And, and you you even had uh, the,
0: the local newspaper editor who felt mm-hmm. that Gene Mulvahill is the reason she got fired oh, yeah, from her job. Really and even her, who this lady who feels like this guy ruined her career, mm-hmm. even she said, is Gene Mulvahill a villain or a victor? Even she said he's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of the core idea of this movie, is that anybody who went to class action park at sometimes was a villain and sometimes they were a victor depending on how the day went and how you went down the slide yeah. so uh, that's kind of the idea but either way super interesting documentary this isn't something i knew a whole lot about um and class action park that's just the perfect name for a documentary yeah, it is. about a place called action park
1: so what grade would you give it uh, i don't know if it's an in, in the a territory but i'll give it like a b plus plus Double, people, double plus for the beat. So like an 89.9%.
0: Yeah, 89.9. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Uh, I, I was entertained the whole time. Like I said, some of those tonal issues, maybe a little bit. But as we just talked through, maybe that uh, was on purpose. Yeah. So moving on to the final topic that we're going to talk about here today. It's the feel-good film of the fall. It is called <laughs> The Devil. No, it's not. It is called... <laughs> The Devil All the Time. Oh, man. It is directed by Antonio Campos, who is Mm a director I don't know uh, too much about, but I did look at his filmography. Um, The plot summary on IMDb. Sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality. Really impressive cast in this film that just uh, premiered on Netflix. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, Tom Holland... Riley Keane, uh, Sebastian Stan, Jason Clarke, Harry Melling, Robert Pattinson, Eliza Scanlon. Um, so, great cast here yeah. of these, these villainous characters uh, moving in and
1: out and interconnected. Mike, where do you want to start with this movie? Well, let's start with the fact that this is based on a book. So, it's based on a novel by Donald Ray Pollock. And you can definitely tell... Who also serves as the, as the narrator. Yes. narrator, we should say. And you, you can tell that this film was crafted with a lot of love for that novel. Like, the style of it, the tone, the way they do the characters, the way it's being narrated with the words of the novel. Um, the way it even seems to jump around, like I've heard the novel kind of does. Like, it, it kind of shows you some ol- older stories about what's about to happen. And, like, honestly, Tom Holland, who's basically headlined as the star of this movie... Does not even show up till about fifty something minutes into the film, mm-hmm. but there's all this backstory into his family and his parents, and these other side characters are developed first and that kind of thing, and then it kind of jumps. So you can tell that this was like a loving portrayal of a someone, a book that meant a lot to someone. Having said that, I've not read this book, <laughs> so I don't, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't tell you how, how close it is. I've heard good things though about it as a um, as an adaptation. Um, but yeah, this is a movie that deals all about the idea of beliefs. What do you really believe in? There's a lot of, uh, religion in this movie. Um, it starts with kind of the parents of, uh, Tom Holland's character, how, uh, he has a father who, uh, saw trauma in world war II, And now he's uh, got this intense desire to like pray and he has his own church in the woods. Um, and then when Tom Kong comes along, uh, this father tries to make a sacrifice cancer to protect the mother from getting cancer. She still gets cancer, dies, and this guy kills himself. Now Tom Holland is an orphan, sent off to live with another orphan at, uh, you know, a new place with a new church. And uh, then that pastor there also turns out to be a slime ball. Enter Robert Pattinson, the, sl- the slime ball. It's basically Pattinson, just slime balls and, everywhere. Yeah, tr- yeah, religious slime balls are everywhere in this movie. But also, good people who do the righteous thing anyway are also in those churches, but they have to murder those people and leave, um, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought that it did show church drama and some of the bullshit uh, sexual stuff that sometimes goes on behind churches and the way pastors try to get away with it. They did show that pretty accurately. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, this movie's called The Devil All the Time, so it's very clearly dealing with themes like, you know, evil, religion, obviously, and, you know, the abuse of power. mm -hmm. And basically it, it examines the various ways that people use religion to justify doing bad things. Right. Or it, um, you know, you could argue that more people have been killed in the name of religion than anything else. I don't even know if that's arguable, you know, if you want to look back through human history.
1: And I would uh, say that the film doesn't necessarily attack religion. It actually shows that what the people are doing is in violation of the religion, and they're using their own personal traumas and their own personal demons to They're justify. using it to justify yeah. what they're doing, whether it's Willard, who's... Uh,
0: you know, killing the dog. Who, right. by the way, the second that dog was on screen, you just knew he, yeah. he was gone. I'm like, it was sad. this dog is getting way too much screen time. It is totally getting murdered. Whenever this dog gets too much screen time, you know it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Just note that down for yeah. for movies, cinema rule. Yeah, um, but yeah, whether it's that or whether it's uh, the crazy, uh, you know, Dudley Dursley character. Uh, Harry Melly, who plays Dudley, he's such
1: a, a great actor. He's yeah, done a couple. He movies did great recently. in this
0: movie. He's one of my favorite performances as like this crazy Southern pastor who pours spiders Bob, over spider his eyes.
1: scene will give people. If, if you <laughs> don't, if you have arachnophobia or you don't like spiders, there's a spider scene that's really gonna but, mess but you up. But he
0: justifies killing his wife because he thinks that it's he's gonna be able to bring her back to life. Um, you know, you, you just have all these people that have dealt with tragedy. And they're using religion as a way to justify their evil acts. And all these people that are sort of interconnected, they're all interconnected in some way, whether it's Sebastian Stan's sheriff character, Jason Clark and, and Riley King as, uh, as this Bonnie and Clyde sort of couple. that They are all con- at least have one connection to each other. And all these people end up having really unfortunate uh, yeah. things happen to them. So I think it's just sort of like examining how evil comes in different forms evil comes in different ways and it affects people in different yeah. ways. I think that's what the, this movie is trying to get at, but I, I kind
1: of wanted to ask you, like, what do you think the point of this movie is? Well, I think a key to asking that question is also the ending. So I think the ending of the film actually reminded me a lot of The Graduate, where they finally escape this toxic you know, system, uh, they run away together, and then they're on the bus, and then they're just like, great, what do we do now? And yeah. there's kind of this Oh, I don't know. Uh, What was all that for? What are we going to do? Did
0: you realize Tom Holland gets picked up? The guy who picks him up is the guy who beat the sheriff character up earlier in the movie. So Mm -hmm. it is like this big cycle of even this guy who picks up Tom Holland is still involved in this cycle of violence. <laughs> right.
1: But it doesn't really end with him doing anything negative to Tom. He just happens to be the driver in some at least that's the way I interpret it. As he just happens to be the driver even though he's part of the cycle. That doesn't mean Tom Holland's character's in danger.
0: So, so yeah, when the movie ends, it's Tom Holland yeah. riding shotgun and he's sort of and contemplating like, what he's hey,
1: going to do you know, what's going to happen. I don't know. It's like, well, all that for taking out all those people and, you know, dealing out all that wrath and, and just judgment and anger. Okay, what do you do now? But
0: one of the things he does consider is enlisting to go fight in Vietnam. Which, if you remember, this movie starts with his his father fighting in World War II, where he has to kill this soldier that's been crucified. Right. So, to me, that means that Tom Holland, yeah, he's done all this bad shit, all this bad stuff's happened to him. He's considering going to Vietnam, where conceivably this entire cycle of violence could start It'll all start over, over again yeah. so to me that's that's kind of the idea here is that evil exists it comes in many different forms it affects people in different ways um, it's just about how do you deal with it and which ways do you do you go with it so I thought that the performances were really good in this overall. The cast kills it. I already talked about Harry Melling, who's Dudley Dursley and uh, yeah. Tom Holland's solid. You know, I like how he takes all these tragedies sort of yeah. in stride. But you can see every time that something else bad happens to him, it starts weighing on him a little more. Starts weighing on him a little more, and that ultimately leads him going over the edge um, and doing certain things that you might not like. So I thought those two were, were the biggest standout. Robert Pattinson, he's good. His accent, I found distracting. What about you? I, I,
1: I, <laughs> I don't really know what, I... I <sighs> I've never really seen him in anything that I was like, oh, wow, he's incredible. Like The Lighthouse. Watch I, it. I, I, yeah, I know. I need to see it. But like, even like, this kind of felt oh, like... a good
0: time he's really getting to. Okay,
1: you remember when I talked about The King? Breaking Down Part 2. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember The King? He yeah. played, so he's in that. You would in, expect a speech of me? No, no, no. He's not that guy. Oh. That's Timothy Chalamet. Oh, sorry. Uh, he's, he plays similar to his role oh. in this. He's almost more of like a... a he, he comes in for only a little bit as like a scene-stealing accent. Like thick, vi- like, uh, I- I, like just over the top villain. That's kind of how he played in the king, and that's kind of what he does in this. In the king, he's like the French Dauphin, um, and this he's like a southern past, like you know. And I don't know, just, yeah, exactly. yeah, it just feels like he does a he does a good job with like creating that character as a toxic, manipulative, like kind of culty creep. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it just it, it definitely also feels like it's a performance like yeah. it definitely doesn't feel like a Something real he's gun, trying
0: but, too hard you know yeah.
1: yeah it just feels like he's just doing like taking everything so like slowly and it's like okay like we can tell you're acting dude. <laughs> um but yeah i guess it was like it was fine the acting was overall really good um the church drama was good the way uh the idea of the abusive like people in the church being accountable in some ways to the families of their victims i thought was another theme um, which ties into like certain biblical stories like uh, Absalom and Tamar and Amnon um, I, like, I felt like Sebastian Stan was kind of a disjointed character though like as much as I they tried to kind of fit him into the story it did kind of feel kind like of on the fringes of, yeah, yeah he kind of just came in at the end as kind of like the villain obviously for Tom Holland because as we all know Sebastian Stan and Tom Holland hate <laughs> each other as Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan vocally hate Tom Holland It's right. is one of my favorite jokes about the MCU yeah but uh, no like he was good and um So I like
0: the narration quite a bit by the uh, by the author. I thought that he was an effective narrator. I liked how he started with the map and he sort of talked about how these towns of Mead, Ohio and Cold Creek, West Virginia would become interconnected and how these these characters keep traveling between these two cities and kind of just how evil is found in the, the most random of places. And these these things happen, you know, sort of. Um, there's sort of some questions to be asked about destiny and sort of are things predetermined? Like, is the devil having an influence on everything that's happening in this movie? I mean, it's called devil all the time, so I guess that's not very subtle. Um, But it's just interesting. I do like the religious aspects of this movie because it's obviously very religiously charged, but I think we're constantly asked to question in the movie is this battle between good and evil, is the devil more likely to win more times than not? you know yeah. it's and that's that's powerful and interesting stuff to, to question
1: so yeah, yeah i think the ultimate theme is like that the devil is kind of us
0: he's always present
1: like he, he's and we he's have to fight us. to yeah. keep him away yeah. Or
0: you can succumb to it and justify bad actions. Right. So I think that's kind of the crux of the,
1: of the idea of the film. So is there anything else you want to touch on about this? I thought direction, honestly, felt a little disjointed. And some of the beginning was drawn out. Like, it, it kind of did start a little slow. Um, but overall, like, I, the movie did kind of grow on me the more I thought and reflected on it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd give, it a, give it a B. Uh, maybe a B-minus. Um, for some of the slower like disjointedness of it but the acting really was good like uh, I also just want to give a shout out to uh, Eliza Scanlon Um, she played uh, Lenora the the stepsister recently Um, seen in Little Women yeah uh, she's kicking butt and she did a really really good job (laughs) in this being a very uh, fervent and like um, devout character who kind of has a a loss of faith and a sad ending Um, well she's
0: manipulated into making the decision that she makes so it's it's this movie is it's good. It's well acted. It's it's mostly well written. I believe I agree. It's a little disjointed, and it's not gonna it's not gonna make you feel good. So unless you're interested in, in sitting here and actually thinking about these themes that we've been talking about, I'm not sure it's gonna be for you. I agree. It's a little slow. I gave it a six point five out of ten. So that's the devil all the time, and that's uh, that's our show today. Um, Mike and I are going to go, uh, you know, give to charity or something now because I feel dirty having watched this film. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we appreciate you listening. Um, please, please like the Second Day Film Podcast Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Um, check out Mike's Michigan Man of the Year page. It was a great event. Looked like a lot of fun. He's wearing a, a funny cape that you can see there. So, And uh, I don't know. Is that something you're going to look to have a- again? or? You-
1: If the world's still spinning in 2021, we can talk about it.
0: (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. As long as the devil. I know. The devil all the time. No. No, No, the devil's in the details. Anyways, we appreciate you for listening here today. Uh, Mike and I are going to go get another whiskey um, and enjoy the weekend. Uh, But until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the booth.